Blog Talk Radio. The following show is a proud member of the ShowDoc Network. Learn more about this show and other great shows by logging on to ShowDoc.com. This week's episode of Avner Live is being sponsored by Blog Talk Radio, The Legal Docket, and by Parker Shelton. That's this week's upcoming Torah portion. Mazil Tov, it's another live schmoozing podcast episode. Welcome to Abner Live. With Abner Live, a.k.a. Quas. Tune in to hear his take on Jewish topics to find out if what's happening in the Jewish world makes the grave. Presented by ShowDoc.com. Live from Kingston, New York. This is Abner Live. With Abner Live on Blog Talk Radio. Judaism. Hello and welcome to Avner Live on Blog Talk Radio. This is episode 4 for August 18, 2012. We are coming to you live tonight from Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ethan Klossman, a.k.a. Avner Live. Tonight we got a great show for you tonight. In a couple of moments, Rabbi Ari Hart will join us uh, to discuss various topics, various engaging topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. During the show, we want to answer on the phone lines as we'll be taking questions. Same question for my listeners. You can call us at 1-347-426-3903. You may have to press 1 to get on the caller queue. And if you prefer to message you queries, you can aim myself at GoTalkToPlus or on Jabber at EthanPlusman at Jabber.org. Additionally, leave us a voicemail and send us a text during off-show hours by calling or texting us at 315-497-SHOW at 315-497-7469. Be sure to text or say Avner Live or AL before you text or call. On that note, we'd like to welcome on the on the Avner Live Rabbi Ari Hart. Rabbi Ari, thanks for joining us tonight. It's great to be here. Shavuot Tov and good hodesh to you. I'm good host to you as well, and I said, well, it's an exciting time. Ella is here. Yes. Uh, and, the, and the davening gets longer now in the mornings. Yes, yes, it does. Okay, uh, let's get right into it here. Let's talk about the vulnerable immigrants in Israel. Can give our listeners a little background on the situation, and why do you call on American Jews to show compassion for vulnerable immigrants in Israel? Sure. Well, um, the situation is a complicated one and requires a lot of research and investigation to really understand thoroughly. But uh, broadly speaking, um, over the past couple, over the past few years, uh, there's been an influx of uh, immigrants and refugees coming mostly from Africa, from countries like Sudan and Etretia and a few others. Um, some are coming because they're really seeking asylum. They've been persecuted and they're not safe in their home countries. Um, some are coming for seeking oppor- economic opportunity. It's not always clear exactly who's who and, and why they're coming, but the reality is that there are many thousands of these folks living in Israel. And unfortunately, over the past couple months, we've seen a rise in um, in persecution and even violence directed at these immigrants. Um, there's a concern, you know, an understandable concern from from members of the Israeli population about what are we going to do with this influx of thousands of immigrants into our country and how will it affect our security, our national character. These are all important questions to think about, but I believe that underlying all the questions about security and sovereignty and uh, national character, we have to remain true to our core values and our core principles as a Jewish people. And one of those core principles is repeated so many times throughout the Torah, they have to take care of it. And you need to love the stranger. You need to love the person who is vulnerable, who is far from home, who does not have a place to go. 
And the reality is that there are thousands of people who are strangers, who are vulnerable strangers in Israel right now. And no matter what the policy resolution is, uh, and I'm not a policymaker, so I don't have the, I don't have the answer in that sense. But underlying that, as a Jewish community, both in Israel and in America, I believe that we need to find ways of extending compassion and love to people who are in a vulnerable state. That's what it means to be a Jew. That's what it means to be a person of Jewish faith in the world, and it's something we need to really strive towards. Now, on that note, what do you make of the riots that were aimed at African refugees and migrants in in South Tel Aviv uh, back in June? Um, you know, I, I I think it's very unfortunate and very ugly. I think it's an ugly side of um, you know of our collective psyche. I think that I understand again. I understand the fear. There's you know there's a real fear when people come to your country and they're different and they have different ways of doing things and speaking. And I understand that that fear. But I think what's important is that we have to go beyond fear. We have to go beyond just seeing someone as an other who wants to destroy us and really get to know people. And, uh, you know, I have a fundamental belief that people are made in the image of God and that if we if we get to know them and they, it's clear that they're not here to, to harm, but they're here to work or they're in Israel to work and to um, contribute to society and that they need help, I think that's it's important that we as a community reach out to them. So I view the riots as really an, as an ugly manifestation of uh, of hatred and division that was incited by certain political leaders for political gain. And unfortunately, you know, I think some religious voices have been on the wrong side of this issue. Some religious voices have been saying, you know, that, that we have to make these people go away, and that they're a cancer on society. And I think that's such a anti-Torah and uh, really just a, a very shameful thing to say and a, a shameful way to speak um, as a religious leader. Now, are there many ways that American Jews can give to this cause? There are. You know, there's lots of ways to get involved. There are American Jews who are very involved already. Um, when I was I was in Israel over the summer and I met um, I met a young doctor who had, who had made, a, I'm not sure if he'd made Aliyah, but he'd studied medicine at, at um, Beersheva, and he was, oper- he was working in a clinic in South Tel Aviv providing free health care. His name is uh, Dr. Jonah Mink, a really inspiring guy. Um, he was giving free health care to folks who really needed it, who had, you know, been through a lot in their lives and had come to Israel and had no access to health care, so he's providing that. Um, there are a lot of great organizations. If you uh, look at the blog post, I listed four or five organizations that are doing very good work on the ground. Um, so donations are always appreciated uh, by those organizations and uh, go a long way. You know, these organizations are working on very, very, very tight budgets, mostly entirely volunteers, so the money that you're giving is really going directly to serve and to help and to show compassion for these folks. Um, and also, you know, people are going and volunteering. When you go to Israel, people are making a stop in South Tel Aviv. And there's daycare centers that are there and volunteering there. And, again, you know, offering medical skills and doing literacy help. So there's a lot of people are people that I know are really spending time when they make their trip to Israel to include this as part of their stay in Israel, including, you know, in, in including this value of the Haftar of loving the stranger, into their itinerary for how they want to spend their time in Israel. So there are a lot of great ways to get involved. We're joined right now by Ari Hart of the Huffington Post, also writes for Jerusalem Post, Haaretz Magazine, and JewSchool.com. He's also the co-founder of Uri Lissedek. He mentioned a blog post showing compassion for vulnerable immigrants in Israel. We have a link to that blog post on our show page. Now, you mentioned a number of times, how does the mitzvah's love a stranger apply in this sense in terms of showing compassion here? Sure. Well, there's a beautiful, you know, the mitzvah of, uh, of loving the gear has taken, there's many forms to it. It's a very beautiful mitzvah. There's the mitzvah of, of loving the convert, someone who's joined, you know, Kla Israel through a religious conversion. But there's also a very powerful element to it that uh, the Sefer Achidach writes about, the Ramban writes about, and other commentaries write about, about loving someone who's different, loving someone who comes to you from a different place. You know, when, you, cause when the Torah says, that you were strangers in the land of Egypt, it doesn't mean that we were converts in the land of Egypt. It means that we were a vulnerable population who was oppressed. And when the Torah says you have to love the stranger, because you know the heart of the ger, you know the heart of the stranger, what it's saying is, you know, our history, Jewish history, is unfortunately um, a history of oppression. We were in, you know, I don't have to list all the times that the Jewish people have been in someone else's land and have been treated very terribly, have been 
oppressed and robbed and raped and killed and the horrible things that have been done to us. And the Torah knows that, and, you know, it's a, and we knew the nefesh hager, we know the soul of the stranger. And that means that when we're in a position, when we have the opportunity to then, when someone comes into our domain, into our land, into our area of power, then we have an opportunity either to choose to mistreat them and to incite hatred upon them and to oppress them and to oppress them economically um, and to oppress them you know, by physically assaulting them, or if we have the choice to extend compassion and extend love, um, you know, in whatever way makes sense. Of course, we have to do that in a way that makes sense. We can't put ourselves at risk, but there are still ways of extending compassion to people who are vulnerable in ways that, that also protect our own interests. Uh, the Torah says that when you have the time to do that, you have to do it. Um, and that's one. That's another part of the mitzvah of Ve'avtetagir, of loving the stranger. And of course, for a lot of our history, that wasn't a mitzvah that was really, you know, that we could not do. You know, when we were when we were a vulnerable community in Poland or in Egypt or wherever we were, we did not have the opportunity to really, you know, extend compassion to other vulnerable populations. We didn't have the power. We didn't have the resources. But now we're at a time. The Jewish people are in a time when we have the opportunity to fulfill this mitzvah, and perhaps it's in, in its most high and original intent, to love people who are strange and vulnerable and different than us. Now you mentioned we've gone through many atrocities, um, and just a couple of weeks ago we observed Tisha B'Av. Mm-hmm. How, how does the Torah relate to another issue you brought up in another article about human trafficking? How does the Torah relate to the issues of our current time, such as human trafficking and how it calls on people to lend a helping hand? Sure. Well, I think, you know, it's a, it's a very big question, and it's a question that we at Ariza Tzedek, um, this is something that we really think about a lot in terms of these these moral issues which face the world today, whether it's human trafficking, whether it's, you know, migrants going to different countries, whether it's blood diamonds or ethical consumption, these issues which really face us today, uh, what does the Torah have to say about them? Um, and that's something that we do in our Bhakti Drash, where we learn about these issues. We, we come together and we study relevant uh, Torah texts and we bring in relevant speakers who are experts in the issue and we have a conversation about the connection between Torah and uh, these pressing moral issues. Um, and, uh, you know, oftentimes, like many things, the Torah says a lot. There's a lot of there's a lot out there about these issues, um, specifically with human trafficking, which you asked about, and Tisha B'Av. Uh, you know, I think going back to the sense of the Torah tells us, you know, that we know the soul of the stranger. We were, we, we have this sense, we have this, we were born, you know, the Jewish people were born in oppression. We were, the nation was born in Mitzrayim, in a place of, in a place of tsar, a place of narrowness and suffering. And that's so, so fundamental to what it means to be a Jew is to carry that that knowledge and carry that understanding of suffering. It's both in our texts and it's also in our history. Um, there's no escaping from it. And I think, you know, what that means is that by, by knowing that suffering, we then have to, we, that gives us an empathy and compassion for other people who are in similar suffering. So, for instance, with human trafficking, you know, there's a beautiful kina, or not beautiful, a very, very sad kina, um, about the sons of Rabbi Shmela, the Kohen Gadol, the son and daughter, um, who were trafficked, who were kidnapped, you know, after the destruction of the Mesa Dash, and they were uh, taken as slaves and had separate owners. And the slaves wanted, they, they wanted to force them to, uh, to copulate, to, to, to make children together because they thought, oh, if we have these two beautiful slaves, you know, think of the beautiful children they'll make and we can do whatever we want with these slaves and whatever we want with their children and their property. And it's a very, you know, it's, that's, that's human trafficking. It's taking people and using their bodies um, and having total control of their bodies to do whatever you want. Um, and the story goes that, you know, it's the brother and sister, and they, of, uh, the, the brother and sister, the, the children of, of Yishmael, the Kohen Gadol, and uh, they're being forced to mate and they realize what's going on. They realize that, that they're brother and sister. And when they have this realization of what's happening, they fall on each other's necks in tears and they die. Um, and it shows sort of the, the pain and the sorrow that comes along with being trafficked in that way. So when we have that sense of, we have that sensitivity, we have that ethical awareness, which is embedded in our texts, these stories, these narratives, these powerful statements about what it means to be a stranger and what it means to suffer and, and, and how, how wrong that is. Um, what follows then is, well, what do we do about it? And what follows then is the ethical imperative. And the ethical imperative is, 
you know, as Rav Cook says, the answer to Sinat Chinam, to this baseless love which destroyed the Beit HaMikdash, is Avat Chinam, is, is love. There's an answer. And part of the answer, when we see this kind of, when we have this destruction in our past, is to do Tikkun, is to do repair. And Tikkun takes place in, in you know, takes many forms. But I think a very powerful form of Tikkun um, is drawing on our texts and drawing on our experiences as Jewish people is to take and make tikkunim in the world on areas where these issues are still alive. So thank God not so many Jewish people are being trafficked right now as, as sex slaves. But unfortunately, there are many human beings who still are. And unfortunately, many of them are even trafficked through the state of Israel. So we have a real responsibility, a real ethical imperative that comes from our history and from our texts to address these issues head on. We're joined right now by Rabbi Ari Hart. Uh, he was recently selected by the Jewish Week as one of the 36 forward-thinking young people helping to remake the Jewish community, and he has worked to spread the message of Jewish social justice and responsibility in synagogues, schools, and change organizations around the country. Now, getting to another topic here, I'm currently airing this show from an iPhone. You wrote a, a very interesting article in Publishing Post about uh, is the iPhone kosher, and there was recently a big... Uh, a, a big uh, event at a stadium in, in Queens, New York, in City Field, which talked about the internet and filtering uh, in the Orthodox community and the and, and, and the world and the use of that as well. Uh, so let's go over this. Is the iPhone can it be used in a kosher way? Uh, and uh, and what are the ethical concerns? surrounding how the iPhone is produced and made, and how does that relate to Torah study? Sure. How does it relate to Torah study? Yes. Great. Um, it's a wonderful question. Um, is the iPhone kosher? So that that topic, you know, that, that uh, headline, a little bit hyperbolic, you know, meant to sort of pique people's attention, of course, you know, in terms of kosherous, yes, you know, the iPhone won't trade up your kitchen. Um but there are some serious questions, though, about, you know, on both ends which you raise. You raise the sense of, of just the Internet in general and the role the Internet plays in our communities and how um, how it affects us and, and uh, the kind of things that become available to the Internet. It's one question, a very important question. And the other question um, that the article raises is the production, the means of production um, with the iPhone. Um, so... I think it was last week's Parsha that talked about uh, that talked about you know bringing the Vodah Zara into your home um, and the problems of the Vodah Zara. And uh, interestingly, the Sefer Chinuch, in his commentary on the prohibition to um, not bring in Vodah Zara into your home, he says this extends not to just literal statues of idols, but he actually says that a Vodah Zara bringing Vodah Zara into your home includes attaching your money to things that are acquired or created through, he says, Hamas and Gezel, he says, you know, violence or robbery or oppression. So he has a very interesting read of this prohibition of bringing Taweva into your home, that it's not just statues, but that it's actually things which are produced in unethical ways, which raises a whole host of questions for us. If we take that, you know, if we take that seriously today, what it means is that purchasing goods which are produced in, uh, improper, unethical ways might be, according to the Chinuch, a Vodazara, might be a form of idol worship. And that is a very that's a very serious thing to consider. So what that means is that if the iPhone was produced in settings and conditions which are um, exploitative and, and violent and unethical, that purchasing the iPhone really, according to the Chinuch, might not be acceptable because you're attaching your money to these products. Now, we live in a world today where so many things that we buy are produced in all over the world, and we don't have really, we have very little uh, knowledge or understanding or control over how, how, how our goods are produced. Um, and yet, at the same time, the Torah is saying, you know, you have to really be aware and considerate of, of the sources of which you buy and what you're attaching your money to. So, you know, one way, just in general, one way that we've tried to address this issue is uh, through through the kosher industry and through um, specifically through kosher restaurants to say, you know, we know we've we've done the research. We know that in the restaurant industry in general, that many people are paid below minimum wage, and many people are not 
provided with the proper um, breaks or the proper overtime payment. So we know that there's a lot of this kind of exploitation happening in the food industry. And we also know that as Jews, it's important that we don't, you know, according to Schinnes, that we don't sort of connect our, our business to restaurants or to any, any industry that's doing the wrong thing. So we created a whole system called the Tava Yosher, whose goal is to verify that um, kosher restaurants are meeting basic legal standards, basic legal standards on how they treat their workers to make sure that this kind of stuff isn't going on, and then they get certified. And then when you go and eat at a Tavayoshi restaurant, you know for sure that you're connecting with a business person who's committing to basic legal and ethical standards. Um, so, you know, with the iPhone, it's a bigger question because it's all the way in China, and how can you go and really know? So I think the answer that you know that I that I believe is is key there, and and I think has been um, has been adopted by many people, not just Jews, is to put pressure on the company to say, look, we're we care about this. We're gonna you know we want to we want to know what's going on. Journalists have gone and reported on it. Uh, unfortunately, some of that reporting has been a bit problematic. I don't know you familiar with all Mike Daisy uh, reporting what happened with that. Can you repeat that and catch that. Oh, there, there was an interest. Well, so there was a there was a big exploité by a journalist, a journalist slash performer named Mike Daisy, who did an investigative piece um, about the iPhone factory, and it was very a very provocative and very uh, disturbing piece oh, about wow. some of the abusive conditions that were at the plant. And then it turned out that actually some of the stuff had been, um, you know, narratives had been combined, facts had been fudged. So you know that was a very um, it was unfortunate that he did that, very unfortunate on a lot of levels. Um, but anyway, the point is that the, the the consuming public, both Jewish and not Jewish, who cares about these issues, cares about ethical consumption, needs to vote with their dollars and needs to stay on top of these issues and put public pressure on companies to, you know, rep, to do things in accordance with their values. You know, the customer is always right. So if, if all those customers say, hey, you know, we love the iPhone, but you know what? I like personally, I'd be willing to pay an extra ten or twenty dollars for my iPhone if it meant that it was being, if it meant that people were getting paid the proper wages. You know, that's so that it's important that customers who care about these things, um, just like you know, many customers are doing in terms of things being green and more environmentally sound. Also, these ethical issues, which are so prevalent today, if customers step up and say we care about this and we want to see it, I think that's a very, that's a very um, powerful way to address some of these issues. It was interesting you mentioned about the uh, the, rest, the kosher restaurant industry. There's a lot of undocumented immigrants also working uh, at Jewish restaurants too. So yep. and that's, that's interesting that you that you mentioned that uh, about the, uh, the restaurant industry and how they how they conform to to kosher. Yeah. Yeah, and most you know most people would agree, regardless of political perspective, most people would agree that we have a you know we have a real problem in our country now with with undocumented people, and and whether you think there should be more, there should be less, or whether there should be amnesty or no, I, most people would agree that it's not a it's not a really a working system where you have all these people who are in the country with no records and you know no paperwork, and they're working jobs, and you know and in many cases they're being exploited because of that. Um, so, you know, whatever your political perspective, I think we would all agree that the system needs to be changed. But what we're saying is, regardless of that, people are still people. Human beings are still human beings, whether they have papers or not. And they should not be exploited. You know, workers should not be exploited in these restaurants. And I've seen it, unfortunately. You know, I've, I've been to these restaurants, um, kosher and not kosher, uh, and I've spoken with workers. Actually, I've only been to the kosher ones, but I know what happens in the non-kosher restaurants as well, that... Um, because people have, you know, they're undocumented, the boss will say, oh, you know, oh, you have a problem? Well, I'll call, you know, I'll call the INS on you. Or you can't, you know, you can't complain if if I don't pay you all your hours because you're not documented. And these are real, these are really so in Minnesota, you know, this is not, um, these are not, these are not little things to not take some other full wages or to cut hours off someone's paycheck or to, you know, harass or exploit a worker. These are really serious Torah issues, and uh, it's, I believe it's important that the community take them seriously. Right. And lastly, here, getting back to uh, showing compassion for vulnerable immigrants in Israel, how does the legal matters of the state of Israel relate to religious obligations? That is, it, it seems that um, there 
that the uh, state of Israel doesn't really conform with a accordance. The Israeli government has not found a way to address uh, the problem in accordance with the Torah's teaching, as you wrote in your article in your blog post. So, how does the legal matters of the state relate? Yeah. Uh, it's a very deep question, um, and a lot of, you know, there's a, a lot of scholarship and, you know, Jewish judges in Israel and legal theorists and, of course, rabbis are, uh, think a lot and talk a lot about this. Um, and, you know, I don't <clears throat> I don't know if I have a, a succinct answer. Um, in my opinion, you know, obviously I don't think we can just apply you know, we we can't we can't just apply halacha to the state of Israel. It doesn't work that way. You know, the halacha was developed in a certain way um, with with certain um, you know without a really a legislative body in place and in certain conditions. And you know, the the uh, in just importing Torah straight into Israeli law, um, in my opinion, uh, did did not happen. And it's good that it didn't happen. It was it would not have worked. So then the question is, so what's the, you know, what's the role? And I think, you know, for me, a big, a big piece is that um, I think the underlying values um, of the Torah need to have a strong play in Israeli society. Um, so that's a, really, that's a really critical piece. And I think that's where spiritual leadership comes in. And one thing I've been very disappointed about, and I spoke with some of my colleagues in Israel about this, is the lack of, of, of from what I've seen at least, and I may be not, and there may be some going on that I'm not aware about, but the lack of spiritual leadership um, in Israel saying that this is this is not okay, that this is this is against the Torah's teachings. Um, I think uh, you know a lot of energy uh, in the religious leadership in Israel goes to other things, um, and I think I don't know if it's they don't have the time or that they're just not able to see it, but I think if I think that the religious community in Israel needs to wake up and needs to understand that this is a religious and spiritual issue. Um, it's just, just as important as kashras. It's just as important as Shabbos. Um, that how we, treat, how we treat people who are vulnerable within our midst is a, is a critical Jewish issue. Um, and I think there's been uh, a blindness on the part of some of the Israeli religious community on that. Uh, and it's my sincere hope that, um, you know, that, that, that changes. And hopefully we'll see everything come together real soon. Amen. Um, yeah, definitely. Now, before we let you go here, tell our listeners where they can read your columns online and clue us into where they can follow you on Twitter, also where they can find out more information about Uri Lissedek. Sure. So for information about Uri Lissedek, um, you can look us up on Facebook or you can go to our website. The website is www.theletteru. U T Z E D E K dot org. That's U Tzedek um, dot org. For uh, the columns, if you go to Huffington Post, if you just Google Huffington Post Ari Hart, you should you should find uh, some of the columns. Um, and Twitter, my handle is Ari Hart, and I would love to get engaged in a conversation with uh, any listeners over Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, I welcome you know. Well, if anybody would like to continue the conversation offline, please, you know, send a message over Facebook. You can also find me on Facebook or Twitter. Um, I'd love to. I think these issues are so important, and I also understand that there are a lot of different perspectives on them. So I welcome, you know, keeping the conversation going. I think it's really wonderful um, that that this show out there lab is devoting some time to these issues. It's a real kiddush Hashem. I think that you're taking that you're Thank you. using them, and I just commend you on the great work and keep it up. It's so important that you know young voices are coming up in the community and really pushing the community to think about things in different ways. And uh, it's just, it's wonderful and kolakavod. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, that's the question we have for you tonight. Thank you for coming on, and we hope to speak again with you sometime down the line. Anytime. Thank you. All right. Kodesh tov. Kodesh tov. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Rabbi Hart, who was joining us here on Avner Live. For the next 30 minutes of the program or so, we'll talk sports, take your phone calls. We have people in the chat room on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, We also have listeners on the phone line tuning in. We have about 10 listeners so far. 
give you the final number as the, sh- as the show goes on. Uh, the show will also be replayed on a Sunday night, uh, on Sunday, on tomorrow night at uh, 6.30 p.m. We're hoping to replay this episode. So if you missed parts of it and you want to recatch, you can, you can check it out. We'll get the link for you. Also, um, uh, you can also check it out on the archive, which could be easier as well. So definitely be sure to check us out in those ways. Number again to call in for your questions and comments is 347-426-3903. That's the number to call in. Um, We'll talk sports, news, politics, and Jewish topics as the show goes on. Here, as you guys know, I'm a big Mets fan. And the Mets won tonight by a score of two to nothing. A shutout uh, in Washington. They beat the Nationals. Um, John Neese got the win. Frank Francisco has been a little shaky of late uh, in the ballpen. He he got the save. The losing pitcher was Jackson for Washington. He fell to seven and eight. And the winning pitcher John Neese got the win. He fell to he, got, he improved to 10 and 6 with 3.49 ERA. The only two runs of the game were scored by Ike Davis uh, on a two run homer. Not scored by him, hit by him. Uh, Santana continues to struggle. He struggled on Friday night. As I was going into Shabbos, I was watching the Mets game online and I saw the Mets had a 2 0 lead and I figured. With Santana pitching, it's going to be tough for them to to keep that up because of Santana's recent struggles. And yes, the Mets did lose on Friday night. I'm just loading that now. The Mets lost by a score of six to four. And the lefty allowed six runs on two homers over five innings in defeat. Uh, he was scoreless until the fourth inning when the uh, Nationals scored. Four runs, and they kept that lead until the rest of the game. Scott Harrison had three doubles in the loss. Johannes Cannon was perfect for three innings on Friday night. In the fourth inning, came around, and a grand slam from Michael Morris abruptly sends the Mets heading toward a 6-4 loss to the Nationals at Nationals Park. After surrounding eight runs on eight hits, he had a worst outing uh, on August 11th, and uh, the 33rd, the, the 33-year-old, excuse me, uh, also served up a two-run blast to Bryce Harper in the fifth, leaving him with six runs allowed on seven hits with four strikeouts and zero walks. Santana dropped to six and nine, which is pretty ugly for a pitcher that's normally over 500 while his ERA climbs to 4.85. So that was the score last night. The Mets fell to 7-under, but then they got back to 6-under tonight with a 2 nothing win, and the rubber game will be tomorrow at 1.35 at Nationals Park. So the Mets have, are tied in the, seat on the, in the series with Washington 6-6 six to six in terms of runs. But, uh, yeah, so Santana's been... A big question mark for the rest of the season now. We'll see what happens. There's talks of shutting down Santana is not off not off table for the Mets going forward here. Article at Mets.com about this. That uh, seems like you have to go hands kind of through that first no hitter in Mets history. He's really been struggled struggling through the rest of the season. And uh, see what happens going forward with him. But uh, some other Jewish topics to get to. Jewish settlers were suspected of firebomb attack on Palestinians. This is from Reuters. This happened on August 16th. Two days ago, a firebomb thrown at a Palestinian vehicle in the occupied West Bank on Thursday set the car on fire, 
and wounded six people in an attack, a military source and Israeli media blames on Jewish settlers. The main lead in the investigation suggests that Israeli citizens were responsible for the incident to the military source who spoke on condition of anonymity, uh, anonymity, excuse me. Israeli media said the tracks were found leading from the site of the incident to a nearby settlement and that at least four of the passengers wounded were members of the same family, two of them children. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu denounced the attack. He said, this is a grave incident. We will do all it takes to catch those responsible and bring them to justice, he says. So we were talking about social justice uh, with uh, Rabbi Ari Hart, acclaimed Rabbi Ari Hart. And uh, another incident of justice, this time Israel on the wrong side of it. Uh, again, talk about the riots. This is not good when you have, it's not good for the, for the whole world to see when Israel is in trouble. Uh, getting back to the Met story real quickly here. Santana was, he's six and nine, he was six and four, and he's lost five straight starts. And, uh, Manager Terry Collins met with Santana after the veteran left-handed lost his fifth straight start Friday night and confirmed that Santana is fully healthy after throwing three perfect innings, three perfect innings against the Nationals. Santana surrendered a grand slam in the fourth and a two-and-home in the fifth, after which his start ended with six runs allowed on seven hits. However, with the Mets essentially out of the National playoff picture, as they entered Saturday, 18 games behind the NL East, the Nationals in 10 games back in the NL wild card race, shutting Santana down for the remainder of the season remains a strong possibility in order to ensure his readiness for next season. And uh, see what happens that going forward. Collins said he wouldn't talk general manager Kenny Austin until Monday when the Mets returned home after the National Series with Santana offering no denial of the notion. His possible shutdown will loom a little longer. Well, I don't know he's asking for it, Colin said. What he's basically saying is that what we think we should do is to make sure he's healthy next year. He's on board with it. He understands the whole thought process behind it. Santana's next start is slated to come Thursday against the Rockies. Remember, the Mets have a six-man rotation now with uh, Ari Dickey still going on the four-man's rest. And the Mets could decide to wait another outing to see how he throws. With his velocity remaining steady and his command fine for three innings on Friday, Tanner's fourth inning collapse was all the more stunning. That's the question trying to discover. We don't know, have an answer to it, Colin said. When you're trying to get a ball away to Bryce Harper and leave it down and it in, the one spot that he can do damage is, is, is the mechanical, is, the, is it the release point? As far as I'm concerned, it's a baseball issue, Colin said. Obviously, we will ask for input of our training staff. Montana has allowed at least six runs and five consecutive starts. Wow, that's ugly. He's the first pitcher in Mets history to do so. In the process, he's fallen to 6-9 on the year, and has estimated his ERA to 4.85 while working toward a return to form as the Mets ace following off-season surgery to repair a torn capsule in his throwing soldier throwing shoulder. But since his no-hitter, uh, he's really not been the same pitcher uh, since then. So we'll see what happens going forward with him. I, I noticed I made a mistake on my uh, show description. I'll do that change quickly now. Supposed to say anti-Semitic party in Hungary. It says it says anti-Semitic party. Uh, 
getting back to the Jewish topic, um, Palestinian and Israeli human rights would say that the settlers are really prosecuting cases of violence against Palestinians in the West Bank. About 34,000 Israeli settlers and 2.5 million Palestinians live in the West Bank. The United Nations deems all Israeli settlements in the West Bank to be illegal. Israel would cite biblical and historical links to the areas, disputes this. And of course, we know the Palestinians want to establish a state in the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and East Jerusalem. Peace talks with Israel broke down in late 2012 in a dispute on settlements, which the Palestinians say denied them a contiguous, viable state. So this is an article in Reuters. Again, I want to thank Ari Hart for coming on tonight. He gave a great interview. Oh, and the, uh, the leader of the anti-Semitic party in Hungary discovers he's Jewish. His name is Zanad Zengedi. Uh, so his first name is spelled C-S-A-N-A-D. Zanad, and his last name is spelled Zengedi. S-Z-E-G-E-D-I. And you can check out the show link at go.showdoc.com slash AL4. This is the fourth episode of Omnir Live. And uh, again, you heard Again, you heard from uh, from uh, Rabbi Ari Hart. There's the Hodish Toe that we are doing these types of shows, and uh, you want to see what I'm up to, and I'm up to a lot of good here on Blog Talk Radio, broadcasting these shows. Yeah, leader of an anti-Semitic party in Hungary, discovering he's Jewish, and uh, Jewish settlers suspected of firebomb. Other story is about Jews making Aliyah, North American immigrants, um, Jews from America, Canada, and the uh, United Kingdom making Aliyah, and Benjamin Netanyahu welcomed and allowed them to become soldiers. There's actually some people in my neighborhood I know that made Aliyah to become members of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, uh, in uh, Israel. And um, I'll tell you about some other blog talk radio shows going on now. Uh, host Stephen Rosenblum and Daria... Giovanni welcomed conservative political satirist and former Wall Streeter Ellen Karras back to GRF Radio to discuss the impact of the Ryan VP pick on the presidential race. And we may have some um, show doc radio shows, blogcareer.com slash show doc. We have some show doc network radio shows about uh, Paul, I think his name is Paul Ryan, for VP of the presidential race for the GOP. An interesting topic. 
uh, NASCAR frenzy on Blog Talk Radio. A wild finish at Watkins Glen. We'll certainly have the NASCAR trio in a heated discussion along with Dog being the spot in the sport. Patty Rob and Dustin will have a lot to talk about this week. Bill Bowers, are you experiencing challenges in your finances, career, health issues, or relationships? Be a part of a dynamic thousand frequency to create a long distance heat healing circle. Join us as Bill Bowers works with magic. Interesting stuff from Blog Talk Radio. Flesh and Bone, join host the Bad Seed and Nadine Mikkel as they welcome member of the Grammy Award winning winning multi platinum supergroup. Bone Thugs and Harmony to the show. He talks Bone Thugs and Harmony as well as the life and legacy of the mentor of mentor Easy E. So it's like R and B music. Join Richard Diaz as he interviews Troy Hansen, novice adventurer who plans to climb the highest summit of each of the seven continents, including Mount Everest, all within one year. Beat that has yet to be accomplished. Listen while Troy shares the story. Seven summits in one year. Wow. Jamming Juice Box is on air right now. Join Jamming Juice Box radio show as they bring you some of the best indie up-and-coming and aspiring music artists that they uncovered. Showcase the music of indie artists who want to take note of talking all things indie music Saturdays, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Manola Hug Hughes. They welcome daytime actress Manola Hughes, who is best known for his role as Anna Devon on General Hospital. They catch up with her about about daytime, her career, and more. Tina Turner inspired her as a teenager in Canada. Tina Turner inspires then in a series of serendipitous twists and turns she met like in Underbelly Hollywood and was invited into the Turner family enclave, meet Catherine Carlson. Jim Long, author of How to Eat a Rose, will be talking about Jim uh, about his book and also about Roses and 2012 Herb of the Year. Our review will listen this week as Tim and Jill discuss another extremely important topic in the LGBTQ community, children. Listen while Tim and Jill discuss what it's like for same-sex couples who have children and those who want to have children. Computer America. Computer America is the longest running over 21 years. National syndicated radio talk show about computers and technology. Special guest industry experts, and company representatives appear on every show. So those are the Blog Talk Radio picks, staff picks of the day. It's also staff picks. Eventually, I'm going to have my show become staff picks as well. I'm going to send an email to Rabbi Ari Hart now. Thank you for coming on. Number to call in once again. One three four seven. Four two six. Thirty nine oh three. And, uh, We're in the chat room as well. We'll take you up to about 10.58 here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Again, the show will re-air on Omni Live, um, hopefully tomorrow at 6.30. Blog Talk Radio, the show at Network says we're on air right now, and that's where we are. We are on air.
I'm not sure a number yet for the replay. So uh, stay tuned to us on Facebook and Twitter. You can find out a number for the show replay. Uh, I'm not sure yet a number for the replay. But stay tuned to us on Facebook and Twitter. Find us at Facebook.com. The show doc. Show doc is the New York network of talk shows. Like us on Facebook. You can also follow us on on Twitter. I just recently grabbed twitter.com slash show doc network. Must call Twitter twitter.com slash show doc. You can also email for this show, Live at showdoc.com. We have 77 followers on Twitter and uh, 48 likes on Facebook, definitely to get up with them, but it's been a pretty steady incline of late, so definitely be sure to check us out over there. I'm a, what I like to do is I like to go to google.com slash news during my shows and search for Jewish to see any of the, see the top Jewish topics that are around the world. That's how I also get guests on my radio show. That's a little bit of a secret that I'm giving away now. So, there's a Swedish Kippah walk Uh, uniting Jews and non-Jews, supported by the Jerusalem Post. Ari Hart writes for the Jerusalem Post. Also tonight, I'm going to go out for pizza and sushi with my sister, Emily, after, after the show's over. A little mozi Shabbos meal. I had a good Shabbos with my mom and sister. And uh, looking forward to... Uh, my mochi Shabbos meal. Little Malva Malka. So, uh, the Swedish people walk uniting Jews and non-Jews. There's a march expected to take place in Stockholm in solidarity with Mamos persecuted Jewish Muni that we regularly harass. Also, we did have some interesting callers uh, in our calling booth, and uh, I didn't I didn't know if they wanted to talk on the air or not with me. But if you want to talk on the air with me and you're not getting through, you should. Um, Send us, open up the chat room and talk to us there. Uh, it might be an easier way to get in touch. Or you can uh, even tweet us. So getting back to the Swedish Kipah walk, People wearing Jews and non-Jews are expected to march Saturday 
in Sweden as a sign of solidarity with Mamo's Jews. Mamo spelled M-A-I-M-O. The idea is to show ourselves and others that we refuse to be afraid or hide our Jewish affiliation. Frederick Serdisky, Director of Communications for the Jewish Community of Mamo, told JCA, he said he expected at least 100 marchers. Earlier this year, a rabbi from Mamo was physically assaulted. In 2010, Mamo's mayor, Ilmar Ripalu, said that a group of Jews in Mamo were, were attacked by Swedish Muslims during a peaceful protest in support of Israel, brought this violence. Also, next week's show is going to have, also have a guest. Next week's show, August 25th, also going to have a guest on. Stay tuned. Hopefully, at least two guests. Stay tuned to our show page for more details. We don't have any music to end this week's show, so you have to bear with me. But next week, we should have music to end the show as well. In 2010, Mamo's. Do you want to talk on the air? Press 1. Uh, just so you know that you're on the air, ready to talk. That's how you get into the into the listener call or guest queue. Q spelled Q U E U E. It will be the first time that a keeper walk is organized by Stockholm's much larger Jewish community. The first walk began in Mamo in January when members of the local synagogue decided to keep on their keeper upon exiting the synagogue. Reports about the march on Facebook, there goes social media once again, helped draw more marches in. Though the walk on Saturday was the fourth such event in Mamo, a city with a population of approximately 1,800 Jews. It will be the first time that a keeper walk is organized by Stockholm for larger Jewish communities. On Friday, the newspaper by Vandeskan, hard to pronounce, S-Y-D-S-V-E-N-S-K-A-N, with Vandeskan, read an op-ed by Sweden's Minister for European Affairs, the Vigeta Olsen phrase of the keeper walk. And uh, just an article from uh, the Jerusalem Post. We have 90 seconds remaining on the show, so we'll just close out by getting you the uh, rest of the details. Next week's show stop is going to be about what it means to be partially Jewish. I'm going to have a guest who writes a lot about uh, We have 10 seconds left, so I don't have time to do anything else. You can follow us at twitter.com slash live. Become a fan of us on Facebook. Thanks to Ari Hart and listeners. I'm Ethan Klossman. Talk to you next time.
17 live listeners. 